You're listening to episode 81 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and today is the day. Report date 2.0 for summer camp, or whatever you want to call it. But baseball is, for the moment, back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us for another week with actual baseball news. I'm Tara Wellman, back after missing last week. But never fear, Alex covered everything for you last week with special guest Ben Godar. And Alex, nice work on the show last week. I am glad to be back. And I felt a little bit gypped in that there was finally actual baseball news and I didn't get to be part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, you were missed. Uh, especially by me, who uh, doesn't enjoy being the one doing the uh, asking the questions. Uh, prefers <laughs> to be the one uh, who just sits back and answers the questions. But yeah, uh, there was some sort of final baseball news um, that could all end up being for naught. Uh, you know, a couple yeah. weeks from now, who knows? But we'll see. We will see indeed. Before we get to baseball, though, I, I feel like it's been a while since I've just checked in. So so how are you? Are you still hanging in there in uh, in the midst of this weird roller coaster we're all on? Hanging in. It doesn't even... It, it This just feels normal to me now. <laughs> right. when, when and if I do return to uh, actually going to a physical workplace... And, you know, we start doing things like we normally did. I almost feel as though that's going to be a big adjustment period. And we're going to have to be checking in on like, so like, how are you? Like, is everything okay? Are you <laughs> able to uh, to get up and leave your house at, at a certain time in the morning? Um, it's just it, a it, perpetual cycle of it, figuring out how to be on a schedule or how to make a new schedule or how to not have yeah, a schedule. <laughs> it's been so long now. So yeah. long that it just feels, yeah, I almost forget what what the alternative was even like. Yeah. And it's weird too. I got an email today that should have been very exciting about the possibility of going back to work in some fashion. But even then it's like, cool, I'll have work. But also like my County is now a, an emerging hotspot for COVID cases. So I'm not sure that's Uh, actually a good thing at this point. So there's just this very weird dynamic there as well, that even when things that seem normal start happening, how are we actually going to feel about doing them? Uh, I guess the emerging hotspot sounded promising at first, and then it, yeah. then it wasn't good. <laughs> no, not, not so much. <laughs> not the good kind of emerging hotspot. Uh, mostly, though, it's just people who haven't been careful and haven't been really paying attention to how they impact other people, which is cool to know that that's where I'm living uh, at the moment. But you know, we'll we'll figure it out, hopefully. But that's kind of the situation not to use that as that as a terrible transition, but I'm going to roll with it. That's kind of the situation that a lot of baseball players are finding themselves in right now in that they have the opportunity to go back to work. They have to decide if they really want to because the reality of baseball in 2020 is that they're will continue to be a unique risk for the health and safety of the players and their families and the personnel that will be involved in this this decision. So to your point, there was news last week about when baseball would theoretically start, but we're still not entirely sure if we're going to get there. And Alex, I guess we can jump right into it. As we've seen this week, there are some players who are going to choose not to get there at all this year with 
a handful of players already opting out of the season, which was their prerogative based on the negotiated agreement. Not necessarily guys that are opting out because they're high risk, but because they're not willing to put other people at risk at this point. Right. And I also wonder if players are opting out because, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're still not sure if, for instance, even if you're asystematic, if you catch it, that doesn't mean you couldn't have perhaps respiratory respiratory problems down the road. I I know you and Daniel talked about this on the Gateway to Heaven podcast a little bit. So I wonder if that's driving it as well. Uh, I could also see some players who are just like, look, it's only 60 games anyway. I'm just going to kind of do a balancing test in my life right now of what's important. Um, For instance, is it uh, I, I know one of the players, I'm thinking of either Mike Leake or Ian Desmond, who has a, a wife that is pregnant. Um, Ian that, Desmond. Okay, yeah. Ian Desmond. And and interesting thing about Ian Desmond, if you ever read the book, The Grind by Barry, uh, gosh, I'm going to totally not get his last name right, which is ridiculous because he's a prominent writer here in DC, but Barry uh, Serluga. So I'm so sorry. That's that is awful. That can't be right. But anyway, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. He's a good writer. Um, Ian Desmond is one of the more interesting characters in that book because it goes into his family and how important they are to him and how like his his young kid at the time would be at the ballpark until late at night each night because that was one of the few times he had a chance to actually be around you know, his dad and stuff like that because the baseball season is, as per the title, a grind and, and they're gone all the time and stuff like that. So it actually didn't surprise me to see Ian Desmond um, as one of these guys who is choosing to opt out. It's such an interesting conversation to have, such an interesting dilemma, because we saw all spring how many players were vocal about wanting to get back to the game. The tell us when and where, the, you know, we're ready sort of social media campaigns that we saw from, I know, Cardinals players, as well as a lot from other teams on or other players on other teams rather. And there's this sort of general idea that everybody wanted to play, but not everybody was really quite on that same page. And I think that's totally fair. I mean, Alex, you have (laughs) forgive the banging in the background. My neighbors have decided that tonight is fireworks night. So we're, we're recording this uh, in the midst of their off and on fireworks show. So if you hear explosions, it's fine. It's just annoying neighbors next door. Uh, But what I was saying is, Alex, you have young kids. uh, You can speak to that better than I could. But the reality that these guys are facing is that they could go play, but there isn't a whole lot of guarantee of not only how safe it's really going to be to play or what the continuing repercussions would be if someone does end up testing positive. And I don't know, I think... My my assumption is, as a parent, <laughs> you take that into consideration where your kids and your family are concerned, even if you're not necessarily super concerned about it for yourself. Right. And even in a full season, when you're away from your family so much, you probably don't feel the pressure that there's not that pressure of of not interacting with people outside of your outside of your baseball bubble, right? Like you, you, you do get to come home and when you come home, you interact with whoever and how many people you want to. And I could see that part of it not being very appealing to players as well. Yeah. It's, I've heard 
a number of people say, kind of front office type people saying that the plan that's in place will likely work if there's 100% cooperation from players in that regard, right? Not going out and socializing and being out without taking precautions and doing things that really have nothing to do with baseball. And that is a huge commitment to ask of someone to basically don't do anything but baseball so that we can continue to play baseball and, and not, well, at least limit that risk. But when you talk to baseball players, I was on a podcast a while back and we were having this conversation about whether it was smart to to start the season at all. And a former player was on the show basically saying, look, we all know that these guys aren't going to sit in their hotels all the time. <laughs> They're going to likely go out and do things that aren't particularly safe. We saw even this week players, uh, I don't even remember who it was. There was a, a prominent player uh, that was photographed at a, at a house party, essentially. And those are the kinds of things that they're being asked not to do, but not entirely restricted. I mean, I don't know how you enforce that, right? These are grown yeah. adults. But my point is, if you're someone who's weighing the risks, <laughs> I know that I have sort of based my very limited social interactions on whether or not I trust the person that's also going to be there to have done things appropriately to eliminate risk, right? So if I'm going to be in a room with someone and I know that they have taken all the necessary precautions and that they have taken care of themselves, then cool, I can handle that social interaction. But if it's with people that I don't necessarily trust them to be taking those same precautions, I don't want to be around them. I wonder how much these guys that are opting out are looking around them and thinking, I don't really trust these guys to take this seriously. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And let me ask you this, and let me preface this by saying I am a 41-year-old person who whose idea of going to a club, like that sounds like the worst idea ever to me, <laughs> uh, no matter the time, uh, uh, regardless if there's a pandemic or not. Um, obviously, if there's a full 162-game season, asking players to you know, do your best to bunker down um, over the course of six months is pretty ridiculous. But I don't think it's that crazy to kind of expect or ask of the players, hey, look, we're going to try and just do this two-month season. Could you either j just hang out with your families or maybe go have a beer with your teammates, you know, after the game, you know, whether it's in the hotel or wherever they're going to be, um, you know, it's only two months, just stick with that. Like, I don't think that's totally unreasonable, but again, I'm not in my twenties anymore. Um, and I probably wouldn't feel that way if I was in my twenties. Uh, so given the time frame, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask the players, um, you know, assuming, you know, I do think it's unreasonable to ask the play. It's crazy to ask players, you know, to stay away from their families, but I don't think that's, that's not the case. Right. Like, right. like, you know, mm -hmm. they are allowed yeah. to be around their families. And um, now is there actually even like a hardline restriction anywhere or is it just like, please do this? Or is it just like a strong suggestion to not do <laughs> From what I have seen. And to be fair, I haven't read the operations manual mm -hmm. cover to cover quite yet. I, um, I, I haven't but... even opened the cover. So. <laughs> I've read I've read specific sections okay. of what was posted online last week, which I'm also told is 
a bit of a, a work in progress still. Things are still being added as we go along. So what I read in that may not be what ends up being the final version of that operations manual. The point being, I, what I have seen, what I have read, there's not a specific, you are not allowed to go anywhere but the ballpark and a restaurant with other people on the team. It's mostly just like, hey, don't be dumb. Yeah. And that sounds great in theory, but if people decide not to cooperate or, you know, as is the case with something like this that has become so polarizing, if there is one guy on that team that doesn't take it as seriously as everyone else does, he's going to look at that suggestion and say, yeah, okay, all right, I don't need to take this seriously. And then he may end up being the problem. So I totally get the complicated choices that these guys are being asked to make, especially when there are family members who may be high risk or people in their lives that are going to be around because they're caring for their children or, you know, whatever the case may be, they have to not just think about themselves and not just think about their, their 2020 season, even if it's, even if it's a guy that doesn't have a wife and children to think about maybe, you know, the, the risk to his long-term career for 60 games isn't worth it. And I don't think it's unfair for anyone to come to that conclusion. Yeah, no, I agree. Of course, the Twitter trolls, there will be plenty of people who do think it's unfair to come to that conclusion, no matter how they end up getting there. But if this whole thing does end up happening, I'm so curious about how different baseball is going to look, not necessarily because of the runner at second base and extra innings or because of the DH or whatever, not because of that, but because what you're asking these guys to do is kind of what the Cardinals had to do in 2011 just to make the postseason, right? They had to play this ridiculous high-level, high-pressure sprint to the finish kind of baseball to get to the postseason, and then they rode that momentum all the way to a title, but that's not... The reason that was so insane is because that doesn't happen. <laughs> That's not how this game is designed. So do you imagine what we'll see, assuming baseball actually gets played, will look a lot like the baseball we saw last year from the Cardinals? Or will Mike Schilt and company have to do things differently because of the circumstance that they're in? I don't know. My hope is that the fact that the players know know going in it's going to be a 60 game season and i mentioned sort of this last week when talking with ben but so the players know going in it's a 60 game season it's a 60 game season which is at least within the division divisions balanced as well as they could be my hope is that somehow just that mentality or or just it naturally feels right like 60 games within 162 is a stretch where it feels like okay like there's a lot of room for variance there 60 games in 60 same thing I guess but I don't know I'm I'm just hoping and this may be one of the dumber things I've said uh lots of you know certainly lots of competition there on (laughs) this podcast but my hope is that it just sort of subconsciously players understand what the season is that everyone as we mentioned last week is starting at basically 500 and this is the season 
um, no different from, I don't know, like obviously at the college level, whether, who knows, whether you're talking about division two or division one, whatever, they play fewer games. I would still think the fact that they play fewer games. Now they play more than 60, but they play fewer games. The best team prevails. I would think in, I know when I played summer baseball as a, as a kid, the best team won and we played like 20 games. (laughs) That is totally different from major league baseball. Uh, I get that. And it's a silly thing to say, but my hope is that it'll just be this mindset that this is a 60 game season the best team will somehow emerge or the best teams will somehow emerge. And we, again, if there's a season, we will get, I don't, you know, we're going to get a team that will be satisfied with winning the title as in terms of how much we can actually be satisfied with the 60 game season. And that's one of the reasons why I, I'm happy they didn't expand the playoffs because that was the fear of like a team barely finishing 500 and winning the world series, which you know, is sort of uh, that fear sort of eliminated with sticking with the 10 postseason teams. One of the things I worry about, and this is not a big deal to most people, but it's a big deal to me because I'm interested in this stuff. You know, the Cardinals have not finished below 500 since 2007. And, uh, and that's the only time they finished below 500 um, going back all the way to the year 1999. They have not had a last place finish since 1990. And that was like their first last place finish, if I recall, since like 1918. I'm going to be very annoyed if in this 60-game season, because we know this is a 500 team. Uh, this is at least a 500 team over the course of 162. We know this is not a last place team over the course of 162. I will be very annoyed if just because of a stupid 60-game season, they finish below 500. I can't imagine a scenario where they finish in last, but who knows, you know, this is 60 games and we don't know what this is going to look like. And that I guess could happen. I mean, can we envision a scenario where they finish below the pirates? Like it's not crazy to think about. I mean, it's just such the a pirates are season. pretty bad. Yeah. The pirates, the pirates <laughs> are very, very bad, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who might still opt yeah. out. Uh, you know, and just because I, I care about this stuff more than I should because it's kind of essentially meaningless. Uh, (laughs) I do worry about that, but hopefully that doesn't need to be a thing that even happens, I guess. It's true though. This is such an anomaly as far as how you, how you utilize the players that you have in such a shortened version of what baseball normally is that you can't play it out the same way. I've talked a couple of times the last few days with people about the fact that, you know, you you don't have time to let someone who's struggling at the plate figure it out, right? So you're going to have to manage, Mike Schultz going to have to manage differently with more urgency like you do in the playoffs as opposed to like you do over the course of an entire summer. So those kinds of things are going to be in play the whole time. And, you know, if you, if the Cardinals hit a stretch of you know two or three weeks like they did last year then yes there's absolutely a very real chance that they could not only finish below 500 but but 
at the bottom of the division because there's just not time to make up ground like there would be in a normal season. I also think that this makes an interesting case for somebody who gets really hot for two weeks or three weeks or goes on a you know 10 or 11 game winning streak and all of a sudden the teams behind them don't have time to make up ground in trying to catch somebody. So it just is going to put so much more pressure on every win and every loss. And I don't know that there's necessarily a team that is that, that has any sort of advantage in a scenario like that, because these teams were not really built for a season like this. You talk about national league teams. They weren't necessarily built with the DH in mind. And Granted, they're going to have this 60-player pool of guys to choose from, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's how they would have created a roster if this was the plan all along. Plus, nobody's done this before. (laughs) No one's tried to pull this off in this sort of environment, under this sort of pressure, and making it up as they go along, especially not knowing what's going to happen from a health standpoint. And that's going to be the dark cloud over everything all season because there's a a very like doomsday scenario where the team that wins is going to be the team that stays the healthiest. And I don't know how you plan for that or how you manage around that. And uh, I mean, I also don't know how you talk about this season without going there. Yeah, we, we really have to help. We really have to hope that the uh you know people behind the scenes are on point as well and I, like if you think about matt carpenter's 2018 season i know this has been talked about to death but you know he started off very very slow um both he and fowler started off very slow and the people who really know what they're talking about new carpenter was fine and new fowler was not and so carpenter stayed in the lineup and sure enough he broke out in in july uh what are we going to do if a guy who is making solid contact, you know, checking all those boxes that you want to see in terms of exit velocity, barrels, whatever, but is just not getting on base? Uh, I assume nothing, right? You just wait, you just wait it out and, and hope that, you know, eventually the tables are going to turn. Uh, but yeah, it is going to be weird watching those decisions. Like, like you said, someone like Fowler, if someone, if he gets, if he were to get off to a very bad start, just based on, I, I think recent history, you know, he was he was very solid last year. I think it was almost exactly average. Uh, the year before that, he was awful. Um, so I would <laughs> think on just based on recent history, you would have to sit him pretty quickly, right? If you didn't feel as though, if you feel like you you had to win as many games as you possibly could because you yeah. you're you know not leading the division or whatever. I don't know. Like I, I just out of curiosity looked on baseball reference and after 60 games last year, the Cardinals were 31 and 29. Um, now, you know, that's not a 60 games that are scheduled accordingly for balance. You know, those are the first right. 60 games of, of the season. And they still had what 102 after that in which, you know, ideally it balanced out with the rest of the teams, but you get the point which is that, as we all know, a lot can happen in 60 games. So it it's going to be weird. I'm, I'm very curious. I, I mentioned to Ben last week if it's going to feel differently, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. I'm used to a loss, just a normal regular season loss. You know, some feel worse than others, like a blown 
lead in the ninth or something like that. But I'm used to weighing a loss a certain way because it's weighted against 162 games. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I guess if you're a big football fan or an equal football fan to baseball fan, one loss in football should equal 10 losses in baseball, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm curious if I'm going to feel differently after a loss this year, knowing it means that much more. I think it's almost inevitable, right? If we get to the point where the season's happening and it's moving along and it looks like we're going to actually have things to talk about when you think about the postseason, right? Because it doesn't matter if you play 10 games or if you play 10,000 games, if you are playing to compete, you're going to want that team to win, right? And the players are going to want to win. I know as much as we've talked about losing a little bit of interest once they start playing and it looks like this is actually going to be a thing that happens this summer. I feel like we're going to be invested in the win and loss record, just like we always are. So I, I think it will be a little bit inevitable to feel differently about it. Just knowing that there aren't as many chances. And that's the thing about this, the length of the season in baseball is that there are so many chances <laughs> and so many opportunities to just gain a little momentum or to make up for a lost opportunity here or there. And other teams are all in that same boat where it can go wrong in a matter of five days, but you can write the ship six days later. And that's the way that a season sort of ebbs and flows. There aren't going to be a lot of ebbs and flows in 60 games. And that just puts so much more pressure on each one of them, I think. And that's for the players, that's for the manager, it's for the front office, it's for everyone who's invested in trying to get to the postseason because of what that means in regards to you know their team's overall success in such a weird season. And for those of us who are going to talk about it <laughs> the whole time, we, we will be uh, probably more... And I don't know, it might not happen initially, right? Because we're all still just going to be in this is this really happening phase? <laughs> but once it really is happening, I do think that the the reactions will just by the nature of the oddities of the season be a little different. Well, yeah. And I, I just noticed on my calculator here that 162 divided by 60 is 2.7. So after a loss, this year, you should feel 2.7 times worse than you normally would. And after a win, you should feel 2.7 times better. Got it? Okay. Do you think you can? Uh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've never tried to measure <laughs> my emotions that specifically, but um, that will be the challenge for uh, us this year. <laughs> I, I'm going to try and stick with that. There are losses that if I have to be doubly <laughs> upset about <laughs> almost three times. This, yeah. Yeah. I, I might as well just hibernate, do, do never you, come out of a hole. <laughs> do you remember? I think it was, gosh, I think it was actually 2018, but I remember a loss in Philadelphia while Matheny was still managing. That was one of those where I just sat in my chair and stared at the television for almost like 45 minutes after the game ended, just like in disbelief, almost in impressive <laughs> awe that it even happened. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that game by chance? You, I mean, I, I know there's there's lots of those, especially. I remember uh, a game where I did that. I don't know if it was 
if it would have been the same game, because I don't remember any details about it. I just remember sitting thinking I couldn't even I couldn't even get up to I, like <laughs> turn the TV off. I was just so uh, so I, consumed by the the weight of the loss. I think it involved Tommy Pham doing something cool to actually like salvage the game instead mm, of the extras. That but, sounds about right. But then uh, Marcelo Zuna making an awful attempt at a diving catch that lost the game for them. <laughs> uh, you know? All of that Man, sounds, I don't know. It's sounds not like impor- not very plausible. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but imagine that. And feeling almost <laughs> three times worse than that. <laughs> That's right. This could be a long 60 games if we're reacting proportionately. <laughs> um, but hopefully we don't have to be on the negative end of that as, as often as I'm imagining is possible. Uh, nonetheless, we keep talking about this as if it is something that might possibly happen. And July 1st. The day that you are listening to this is when teams are supposed to report officially. We do know in the news this week that the Cardinals did have one person test positive for COVID-19. There was no other information about who it was, whether it was a player or personnel, staff. There was nothing released there. Just I think we're all sort of bracing ourselves for that to be something that we hear more of. But it's also been said that no one with the Cardinals has so far said they were opting out of the season, which is a little surprising to me. But I do expect to hear more of that from players across the league in the coming days. Alex, the only other question I have for you is that since you regretted not paying attention to spring training (laughs) when it was so rudely taken away from us, will you pay more attention to whatever it is that we're calling this round two. To the uh, summer version of spring summer training? Summer camp, spring training 2.0, training, whatever, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I want to say yes, games, so I don't know how to... Yeah, there's this fear that it's all going to be yanked out from under us anyway, right? right. Like, uh, so I don't want to get invested again and then have it not happen. It almost feels like, all right, so in 2008, Guns N' Roses put out an album called Chinese Democracy. And I swear this okay. made sense. Um, <laughs> they had been working on it, or at least Axl Rose and uh, not all the members, some of the main members that most people know had kind of been kicked out of the band, but Axl Rose and a few others have been working on it for like 12 years. Uh and there were all these mishaps and setbacks and everything. So it got to the point that I remember, I don't know, let's say around 2006 or so, I just assumed it wasn't going to happen. Uh, mm. You know, I just assumed like, okay, this is, this is something that people are going to keep talking about, but it's never actually going to exist. That's kind sure. of how I sort of feel about the baseball season <laughs> now. It's, I still don't think I'm going to believe it until I see it. Uh, I hope I do see it. And obviously all the caveats that go with it that, you know, that it's safe and all that. But I, yeah, I just don't think it's just very hard for me to get there mentally to think it's actually going to happen until I see a first pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. I think that's where I am with it too. The more I talk about it, the more I think I can wrap my brain around the possibility of actually talking about baseball again, but there's always this little nagging, like I said, dark cloud that is, uh, but are we actually going to get there? And until we do, and until, 
you know, it continues long enough and things are controlled enough that we can all buy into the continuation of this 60 game season and whatever postseason happens thereafter. I think that's where I'm going to land too, is that it's, it's a thing that we can talk about now, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be what everyone seems to hope that it will be going forward. So whether you're calling this summer camp, which apparently caused quite the stir this week on social media, because there aren't more important things to talk about with this impending season, but whatever you're calling it, I don't know how much of it we're actually going to see anyway. So presumably some photos, maybe some video now and then, but even access to that is limited. So who knows? Who knows what we'll see, what we'll hear, how quickly we'll learn of news or things that are either good or bad for the potential season. But when we find out, we'll keep talking about it as long as they keep giving us things to talk about. Alex, that's really all I have from the whirlwind of this week, unless you have anything else that you want to add before we get to the chirp of the week. Uh, Not really, other than I guess if we do, ha- in fact, have this baseball season, I hope it's better than Chinese democracy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it should be. Uh, it's n- not a high bar. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to the chirp of the week. As we've been talking throughout this episode, this ideally will be a 60-game season. So I wanted to look at um, Cardinal seasons, individual Cardinal seasons, of players who played 60 or fewer games and and the stat leaders in certain categories. Uh, okay. Uh, our guest last week, Ben Godar, wrote about uh, the team in 60-game stretches and how good or bad they've been. Um, this is going to be different from that. This is going to be players who did not, who only played 60 or fewer games in a season and, and players who did the best as Cardinals in certain categories. Uh, okay. If that makes sense. So, it does. Yep. Okay, so t- Tara, who do you think... Um, t- this is the last time I'll ask you uh, if you can guess. I'm just like <laughs> get it started. Uh, start uh, start us off. Which Cardinal do you think hit the most home runs in a season in 60 or fewer games? Any idea? No shame if you don't know. Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> it's Mark McGuire. In okay, that was going to be my guess, yeah, but I felt yeah. like I was I was underselling it. <laughs> That's the only reason I asked because that would have been my guess too. Uh, before I looked it up and confirmed on uh, Baseball References, uh, new stat head. This is no longer there the play go. index; it's now called stat head. Um, when Mark McGuire was traded to the Cardinals at the trade deadline in 1997, oh, okay, he went on to play 51 games and he hit 24 home runs, and that <laughs> is the most. Uh, RBIs for Cardinals who played 60 or fewer games. Scott Rowland had uh, 44 RBIs in 55 games in 2002. Uh, run scored. Tip O'Neill with 44 runs scored in 52 games in 1885. Uh, hits, again, Tip O'Neill with 72 hits in 52 games in 1885. <laughs> Doubles. Our good friend Fernando Tatis with 16 in 55 games in 1998. Uh, triples, Tuck Turner, eight triples in 51 games in 1896. And I tweeted this out earlier, but I wanted to return to it uh, real quick. Let me tell you the names of the of the leaderboard for triples, the first names of the leaderboards for triples in this category. Again, Cardinals who played 60 or fewer games, uh, most triples. Tuck, as I just said, next, 
Red, then okay. a guy named Heine, and then we have a Biff, and then a Pink, and then Bones, Harry, Tommy Pham, uh, <laughs> Heine, Jim, as in Sonny Jim Bonley, George Anderson, Dave Brain, that's his full name, Dave Brain, Jake, Bill, Tom, and Ned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> These are all guys who died a long time ago, with an exception of Tommy Pham. The most recent season, besides Pham's season in 2015, was Heine Mueller in 1926. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a, quite a collection of names. Anyways. The, uh, the lost art of the triple, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Stolen bases. Chippy McGore with 25 in 34 games in 1888. Batting average. And to do batting average, I also... Uh, you know, because, you know, in 60 or fewer games, it's, you know, not impossible to, you know, bat a thousand if you only have two plate appearances. Right. So yeah. I, I made it so you had to qualify for the batting title. So you had to have a minimum of 186 plate appearances. Um, the best batting average batting average in uh, 60 games or fewer with at least 186 plate appearances, our friend Heine Mueller, who batted 352 mm. in 55 games in 1921. On base percentage, same thing with at least 186 plate appearances. Will Clark, uh, in, he had a 426 on base percentage in 51 games in, in uh, the year 2000. Slugging percentage with at least 186 plate appearances. Uh, Mark McGuire, 684 um, in 51 <laughs> games in 1997. And OPS again uh, with 108 uh, with at least 186 plate appearances. Uh, it's again Mark McGuire, 1.095 uh, 1997, just edging out Will Clark's 1.081 uh, in Ooh. the year 2000. Uh, yeah, we always forget about how. Well, no, we don't. I think everyone remembers how great Will Clark was when he came over <laughs> in 2000. He was amazing, uh, but not even as great as he was. Still doesn't top uh how how good mark mcguire was uh immediately when he became a cardinal and and there you go that's the list i thought hitters would be more fun than pitchers so maybe we'll do pitchers yeah. next week somehow i don't know how i'll do that but maybe i'll figure out a way but there you go maybe i'm trying to think of what current cardinal could top this list uh do we you know do we know anyone who could bat over 352 or Anyone on the Cardinals hitting at least 24 home runs? Probably not. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard for someone to break these records um, this year, but we will see. It could be really fascinating to watch some of the numbers statistically this season because of the, the small sample size that is going to become the only sample size and how ridiculous those numbers can look um, when you know you're used to seeing them spread out across a lot more games. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone does anything crazy and we look back on it and go, whoa, that was actually a really impressive 60-game stretch for whomever it was. I don't know. Throw Paul DeYoung in the mix again and see if he's figured out his his strikeout demons from the last couple of seasons. And, and maybe we have something interesting to talk about. But 60 games doesn't feel like that much. <laughs> but then at the same time, to maintain that kind of hitting prowess even in that that stretch is uh it's obviously not easy to do when you look at those numbers guys are putting up 
No, it's not. So I, I would guess that Tuck, Chippy, and Heine's records are probably safe, but you never know. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they'll bump uh, bump somebody else off that list. I'm trying to think if there's anyone with any name that isn't like super boring that could be added to that list and feel like it belonged. <laughs> I don't well, think there is one. See, double Fernando Tatis hit 16 doubles. Uh, I could see someone. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, who could hit. Yeah, like there's no reason why Paul Goldschmidt couldn't hit 16 yeah. doubles. Like, yeah, 16 doubles in a season. Now stolen bases. Depending on no one's stealing what version, 25. Yeah, no, no one's doing that. Depending on what version of Matt Carpenter we get, at one point in his career, he could have done that. Absolutely. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that and maybe revisit it. Um, you know, when this season does or doesn't play out, we'll have something to oh. talk about at the end of it. And I should mention, because I should have mentioned this at the beginning, I totally stole this idea from Rob Maines at Baseball Perspectives. He did this across <laughs> the board for all of baseball. Uh, and I don't think there was a single Cardinal on the list, which made me want to do it for Cardinals as well. Ah. Uh, but yeah, go check out the work he's been doing at Baseball Prospectus. He's been doing a lot of these like, uh, you know, breaking down 60 game seasons like this. That's the beauty of a sport built on so many numbers <laughs> is that you can you can pick out something that makes sense of this strange condensed season and then see how it compares in light of that so maybe we'll have that to look forward to thanks again for the information on that we'll check back in on it towards the end of of whatever it is that we're about to see happen uh hopefully we do continue to see it happen as i said report day july 1st and then we will maybe get a better idea of what these 2.0 training camp situations are going to look like. I know that they're going to be sort of staggered with workouts, trying to keep people in smaller groups and that sort of thing. I don't know what it's all going to look like in the next couple of weeks, but hopefully uh, we can all kind of cross our fingers and and hope for the best as far as the continuation of those workouts. And we'll see real baseball at some point before it gets shut down again. And that is the pessimism that comes with living in an emerging hotspot. So here we go. We'll see what happens this week. Seems like it changes and is different and is a new version of what we've already talked about the next week. And Alex and I will be here to break it all down when uh, it inevitably changes seven days from now. So you can find us on all of the places that you listen to podcasts, which you know if you're already listening to this. If you're new here, hello. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Don't forget to follow Birds on the Black as we get the season going. Hopefully there will be even more good stuff coming out of what the guys put together over there. And uh, I think that's it. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>